Buzzkills Live, the show that freely admits if the FBI raided our home today, it would find some awkward Karen Culkin fan fiction and two-week-old Kung Pao chicken in the fridge. I'm Liz Winstead, and I'm joined by my co-host, Moji Olivo-Dale. Also the show that hopes it didn't leave its vibrator out. And hi. <laughs> okay. Uh, other scary things. Um, Anne-Marie Kahn. <laughs> Yes, plus the show whose door will be blocked by two aggressively friendly cats and cases of Plan B. Oh, my God. The FBI would have a field day in our homes. (laughs) Coming up on today's episode, we are talking about abortion in all stages of pregnancy. There's too much misinformation out there around second and third trimester abortions, and that information is harmful and being accepted as fact, even by people who support abortion access. Joining us in that conversation is Karishma Oza, the Director of Patient Services at the DuPont Clinic in Washington, D.C., one of the few clinics in the country that provides important all-trimester care. Plus, we are diving into some disturbing research from the reproductive justice legal experts over at If, When, How that study just how deep and dangerous the criminalization of abortion seekers is and the trend lines that are not going in our favor. It's a heavy show today, but we have the perfect guest to bring us some humor and some hope. The notorious CHO, Margaret Cho, joins the Buzzkills. All that in a rundown of the biggest stories of the week. But before we get to all that, a Salt Lake City Council member tweeted this in response to VP Harris's tweet supporting bodily autonomy. He tweeted, quote, the baby is not part of the body of a woman. The umbilical cord and placenta do not directly connect to the woman. The baby floats inside the woman. It is not about the woman's body. It's to kill then, remove the baby's body. It's done in greater proportion to Black babies. Well, the racism, the (laughs) lack of an understanding of, I think, how anything works, how an organ works, how... A water balloon maybe functions? I don't know. Dumb fuckism. Is yeah. that a thing? Dumb fuckism? Because I feel like at what point is is it is the fetus on a magic carpet? Right. Yeah. Is it just floating around? Um, does this like the thing about this statement, anti-abortion people say some dumb fucking shit. Literally, no one has ever said this. There is not a single person, even anti-abortion people who are like, they're two separate people. It's like no one ever says the baby's not in there. Now, he's a city council person in Salt Lake City, Utah. So maybe he believes that um, the same talking lizard that told the whole story of Mormonism is is brought down the plates and um, delivers the babies. I am very unclear. About how he thinks that when you're pregnant, you literally share blood. Yeah. I don't understand. I'm glad that he's making laws about abortion, though. Makes me feel like he's really on the the cusp. I mean, I don't ever want to shame someone for their grammar also, but I'm sorry. There's just there's so much there's so much to unpack with that. That is factually wrong and incorrect. And 
And yeah, the fact that that's the type of entity that's regulating our bodies and having a discussion on it. And I think you said it once, Liz, kind of well, that that's what goes on the record. That's what gets noted on the record. That person's quote is out there on Twitter and that's what people see. And they don't, people who already aren't getting adequate sex education, consent education. But also maybe just talk to anybody who's been pregnant. Yeah. I feel like you don't even have to Google. It's just like, turn in any direction, find somebody who's been through a pregnancy and then try to tell them that the baby was not inside of them at any point in their pregnancy. Um, and that it was um, simply floating around at like some kind of, I don't know, Oracle, uterine Oracle <laughs> that happens. I am unclear, but this is, again, this is the kind of dumb shit that cause us to have a massive amount of garbage laws. It causes us to have the ending of Roe v. Wade. You know, I'll never forget, Marie, that when when the Supreme Court heard the Hobby Lobby case back in 2016, the lawyers arguing for Hobby Lobby said 58 inaccurate things about birth control, pregnancy. And if there was not women on the court to challenge them, and they challenged every single one of them, that would have just laid there as fact and truth. The IUD is an abortifacient. Plan B is an abortion. Like all of those things that this person laid out. And so it's vitally important that when how, even how hilarious it is that this dumb fuck is like, babies aren't inside people. (laughs) That somebody's like, bitch, yes, they are. Like, oh my God, why? You should pay me for my emotional energy to fucking say you dumb fuck. What the fuck? Anyway, so now because of this asshole, we have 9,000 news stories we're going to get to right off the bat. So I I guess I'll just do it. Let me just let me just thank Councilman shits from his mouth for the ignorance uh, so I can get to the good, the bad and all of it. Let's start with the bad. Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that freely admits if the FBI raided our home today it would find some awkward Karen Culkin fan fiction and two-week-old Kung Pao chicken in the fridge. I'm Liz Winstead, and I'm joined by my co-host, Moji Olivodale. Also the show that hopes it didn't leave its vibrator out. And hi. <laughs> okay. Uh, other scary things. Um, Anne-Marie Kahn. <laughs> yes. Plus the show whose door will be blocked by two aggressively friendly cats and cases of Plan B. Oh, my God. The FBI would have a field day in our homes. (laughs) Coming up on today's episode, we are talking about abortion in all stages of pregnancy. There's too much misinformation out there around second and third trimester abortions, and that information is harmful and being accepted as fact, even by people who support abortion access. Joining us in that conversation is Karishma Oza, the Director of Patient Services at the DuPont Clinic in Washington, D.C., one of the few clinics in the country that provides important all-trimester care. Plus, we are diving into some disturbing research from the reproductive justice legal experts over at If, When, How that study just how deep and dangerous the criminalization of abortion seekers is and the trend lines that are not going in our favor. It's a heavy show today, but we have the perfect guest to bring us some humor and some hope. The notorious CHO, Margaret Cho, joins the Buzzkills, All that and a rundown of the biggest stories of the week. 
But before we get to all that, a Salt Lake City Council member tweeted this in response to VP Harris's tweet supporting bodily autonomy. He tweeted, quote, the baby is not part of the body of a woman. The umbilical cord and placenta do not directly connect to the woman. The baby floats inside the woman. It is not about the woman's body. It's to kill then, remove the baby's body. It's done in greater proportion to black babies. Well, the racism, the <laughs> lack of an understanding of, I think, how anything works, how an organ works, how a water balloon maybe functions. I don't know. Dumb fuckism. Is yeah. that a thing? Dumb fuckism? Because I feel like at what point is is it is the fetus on a magic carpet? Uh, yeah. Is it just floating around? Um, does this like the thing about this statement, anti-abortion people say some dumb fucking shit, but literally no one has ever said no. this. There is not a single person, even anti-abortion people who are like, they're two separate people it's like no one ever says the baby's not in there now he's a city council person in salt lake city utah so maybe he believes that um the same talking lizard that told the whole story of mormonism is the is brought down the plates and um delivers the babies i am very unclear about how he thinks that when you're pregnant you literally share blood yeah I don't understand. I'm glad that he's making laws about abortion, though. Makes me feel like he's really on the the cusp. I mean, I don't ever want to shame someone for their grammar also, but I'm sorry. There's just there's so much there's so much to unpack with that. That is factually wrong and incorrect. And and yeah, the fact that that's the type of entity that's regulating our bodies and having a discussion on it. And I think you said it once, Liz, kind of well, that that's what goes on the record. That's what gets noted on the record. That person's quote is out there on Twitter and that's what people see. And they don't, people who already aren't getting adequate sex education, consent education. But also maybe just talk to anybody who's been pregnant. Yeah. I feel like you don't even have to Google. It's just like turn in any direction, find somebody who's been through a pregnancy and then try to tell them that the baby was not inside of them at any point in their pregnancy. Um, and that it was um, simply floating around at like some kind of, I don't know, oracle, uterine oracle <laughs> that happens. I am unclear. But this is, again, this is the kind of dumb shit that cause us to have a massive amount of garbage laws. It causes us to have the ending of Roe v. Wade. You know, I'll never forget, Marie, that when... When the Supreme Court heard the Hobby Lobby case back in 2016, the lawyers arguing for Hobby Lobby said 58 inaccurate things about birth control, pregnancy. And if there was not women on the court to challenge them, and they challenged every single one of them, that would have just laid there as fact and truth. The IUD is an abortifacient. Plan B is an abortion. Yeah. Like all of those things that this person laid out. And so it's vitally important that when how even how hilarious it is that this dumb fuck is like babies aren't inside people. 
somebody's like, bitch, yes, they are. Like, oh my God, why? You should pay me for my emotional energy to fucking say you dumb fuck. What the fuck? Anyway, so now because of this asshole, we have 9,000 news stories we're going to get to right off the bat. So I, I guess I'll just do it. Let me just, let me just thank councilman shits from his mouth for the ignorance uh, so I can get to the good, the bad, and all of it. Let's start with the bad. And continuing with pregnancy hot takes, South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott claims that if Democrats win, they're going to allow abortions up to 52 weeks of pregnancy. For those of you keeping score at home, (laughs) not a thing. The FBI opens investigations into the number of abortion-related violent crimes, i.e. spray painting outside of fake clinics that have happened at pro-life organizations. Forget about the zero investigations into the firebombings and the torturing of pregnant people and doctors that happened every day, but I digress. Uh, Over in Georgia, they have decided that Personhood is actually a thing. So from the moment of conception, anybody who's pregnant can take a $3,000 tax break off their fetus. Yep. And you go south and Governor DeSantis has just DeSantising all over the place where he suspended a Tampa prosecutor who vowed not to criminalize abortion. So if you say you're actually going to do the right thing, you can guarantee DeSantis We'll make sure you no longer have a job. And in Indiana, that horrible new sweeping abortion ban that goes into effect on September 15th has a lot of political fallout as the state's biggest employers have been objecting to the restrictions. And sadly, that abortion ban, when it goes into effect, is going to close down our beloved Whole Women's Health Clinic in South Bend, Indiana. Marie, what are some bright spots? Yes, Liz. So there's been a little bit of a Kansas effect that's brought some great news In Tim Scott's state of South Carolina and in Nebraska, GOP lawmakers are pausing their push for stricter bans. In South Carolina in particular, some GOP lawmakers are delaying on moving forward on more abortion bans. And in Nebraska, Republicans, they don't just don't have the votes to call a special session to amend the state's abortion laws to make them even shittier. So you know what? No press is bad press. I don't know. I mean, no abortion bans are uh, good. Are good yeah. abortion bans. Yeah. And rounding out the Kansas effect, there are four more states that have abortion on the ballot this November. California and Vermont are aiming to amend their state constitutions to include the right to abortion. And meanwhile, in Kentucky, their folks will be able to vote on whether their state's constitution should be amended to lay out that nothing in the state constitution creates a right to abortion or requires government funding or abortion. Yeah. So that one's not good. And then Montana has this really bizarre ballot measure stating, and I ballot measures, like, I wish that was a class, you know, that I took. Who knew that's what I would have need to know as an adult? Right. Um, this measure states that infants born alive at any stage of development should be considered legal persons and that they require medical care to be provided to infants born alive after an induced labor, C-section, attempted abortion, or another method. Spoiler alert, we already have laws against killing babies already, but okay. Is Montana killing babies right now? I don't understand this law. I I simply do not understand it. It is hideously bizarre. But Marie, the Kansas effect, yes, but there's good news on top of that. 
In both Montana and Wyoming, judges have put temporary restraining orders on near total bans about to go into effect, with the judge in Wyoming stating that she believes abortion is health care, which is a gigantic win. And then heading over to Texas. Yes, I just said the words good news and Texas together. Uh, the Dallas City Council joins the Austin City Council in passing what's called a reproductive rights revolution with a 13 to one vote. This resolution aims to not only protect a pregnant person's privacy from law enforcement, but also regulates the funding law enforcement can use to target people. So give them not very much money and they can't really do anything about it. Now, can they? I love that. And as always, these stories will be in the show notes. So you don't have to remember everything. And as double always, the best and most up-to-the-minute resources on finding a clinic that's open and finding abortion funding is online at ineedana.com. So now we're going to kick off with the big stories. I just want to say, um, Moji is working from the gorgeous country of Colombia this uh, yeah. this for the past couple of weeks, and her connectivity was fine at the beginning of the pod, and then it just shat the bed. Uh, right before we started going into this. So we've lost our Moji, but she will be coming in and out as her internet allows. So it's going to be, Moji will be floating much like the fetus inside the uterus, not really attached to any of us, but floating above us and, and around us. It's hilarious. All right. Well, I'm going to kick off with a story that I am really, really in love with this week. And not by in love with, I mean, oh my God, what the fuck? The experts over at If, When, and How, which is an advocacy organization that specializes in reproductive justice and the legal system, just put out some depressing research on the trends of criminalizing pregnancy outcomes, and its findings are frightening. Biggest takeaways are... Basically, from 2000 to 2020, in 32 states, 61 people have been criminalized for self-managing their own abortions or helping someone else self-manage theirs. The majority of these cases exclusively involved medication abortion. But here's what I want to get into. In their findings, it was not a single period tracker, not all these things that we've heard a lot about, but rather... Google searches and text messages that have really led to people getting turned in, but they aren't the biggest culprits. The biggest culprits in aiding investigations into people's pregnancies are the healthcare providers themselves turning patients in. Marie, what the fuck? That, I mean, it's so, it seems so antithetical to everything we want healthcare, even if you're neutral on something. Like you can be a dick and not support that person, but you're actually going to turn them in. And, you know, they come to you for medical care, experiencing like bleeding, experience nausea, whatever they're presenting with. And that's your response. And we know that the fact too, I know in some of the research and looking in behind this is that investigations in 26 states happened, despite the fact that only in seven of those states, self-managed abortion was historically criminalized. Right. So these are states that aren't actually criminalizing it, but medical professionals are choosing to go above and beyond and and turn someone in for something that isn't illegal. Right. And that means law enforcement is overstepping, right? Just using criminal laws, not meant for people doing self-managed abortions, but meant to protect pregnant people. And they're using these subtly and and really bastardizing them in a way to prosecute people. And I think the thing that like 
I found so deeply disturbing. I mean, many things were deeply disturbing about this study, but regardless of what the final charges were, law enforcement considered applying murder or homicide charges to these folks in almost half of the 61 cases. That is that is disgusting. I know. I know. And the shocker, Marie, here's a shocker for you. It happened twice as frequently in cases involving people of color compared to that of people who are not a people of color. Shocking. I know. Ah. And, and I know. And, and, you know, anybody who knows about our criminal justice system also knows that, you know, if you are somebody who is targeted by law enforcement, you're scared. And and so a lot of these folks pled guilty, even though they were guilty of nothing, just because they were scared. And in many of these cases, whether they were convicted or not, several of these people lost custody of their children temporarily or permanently just because of the charges and because of the public nature of the charges and everything else. And in one case, while local authorities declined to prosecute because they understood and acknowledged self managed abortion was not unlawful. They still turned her over to immigration for deportation. It's terrible. And this is, and this is 2020. It's not, it's not apparently illegal. And this is from two. Yeah. And this is from 2000 to 2020. And as we've seen in these bills that they're proposing now, there's, there's criminal penalties in almost everything. So this is going to spike way up. And I find it really deeply disturbing. (laughs) You know, and so as we as we count the ways that the good news is some of these bills are being put on temporary hold, um, some are going to go into effect. But the chilling nature of the criminalization is really the point, I think, in all of it. And it's led to Marie. I know the story that you're going to talk about next is not just how patients and those who help people self-manage are um, being criminalized. But it's also putting this really ambiguous gray area and providers are now terrified to provide care because they don't understand the law and patients are suffering. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The bad providers are reporting people. The good providers are terrified to provide care. Well, now we're asking ourselves is when is a pregnant person who's miscarrying? At what point are they sick enough? to get care. And obviously, like the chief person we're asking this of are the Republican politicians who like to practice medicine without a license and legislate without any idea of what a placenta is, where in the body it lives and whether or not, you know, a fetus masturbates. I'm not sure, but maybe that's how a fetus develops fingertips. First time, it just, it just, you know, rubs one out. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, let's just say that that's a thing because why not? Yeah. Yes. On the record, well, researchers at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center looked at 28 people whose water broke before fetal viability and were made to wait nine days to terminate a non-viable pregnancy. The outcome was that 60% of those people experienced preventable infection and hemorrhaging. I mean, what? And the thing is, it's like, You know that these creepy ass governors and all of them say, well, you know, we have exceptions. And if someone's dying, then or someone's this and that. But like if the state is so unclear and if you have to wait until like severe emergency. Yeah. What the fuck is that's how how this is all people are dying. And it's terrible to have the state decide to have any decision in whether or not a, a, a medical treatment needs to happen. 
I get nine days. Like, can you, and all those things that are going on with that, like someone's presumably trying to work, trying to be part of their household, to do all these other things that are required of us. And doctors are afraid to get care for these folks because of presumed legal ramifications. But what Republicans are doing and realizing what they can do is they can incentivize harm and penalize care through their legislation. And they've been they've been doing that. I mean, that's that's the point of an abortion ban. But I guess here, like the cruelty shouldn't matter. But when it's documented so much like this and just laid out like preventable infections, preventable hemorrhaging, and we're not going to allow people to have the ability to perform that medicine here. I just too think that like, you know, the AMA and these other large medical sort of, you know, industry groups should be profoundly speaking out. You know, we only heard from the AMA on any abortion related things a couple of years ago when they finally just said when North Dakota's abortion reversal ban was happening, they were like, you know, we're not going to sit back and listen to your quackery get legislated. That's terrible. But at this point, if physicians can't do their jobs and they have to sit there and weigh out whether or not they're going to lose their license versus treating somebody who could be dying because it could be perceived that they were aiding and abetting an abortion or just can't provide an abortion because the rules of whether or not it's life-saving care or it's or or you've stepped over a line is just too ambiguous. What kind of country that is bar fucking barrack. And yep. these people need to step up. Yep. You know, yep. and and it feels it feels like it's where do you even and I think this ties into your story. It's like where can you even go anymore to A, have an abortion, but also B, if they're going to force every single person's pregnancy to come to terms, and this is going to sound like the worst commercial for like Good Morning America ever, but it's kind of like whether forced to have a baby or having one by choice, which states are the best to do that in? And like, I know, Marie, that you you wanted to talk a little bit about this, this article that came out just about the states where it's good to raise a kid, have a baby, and where it's not so great. Yeah, this story, it definitely started out cute. And then we wanted to put it to a couple of tests. It asked questions about um, where is the best place considering birth and cesarean costs, infant mortality rates. And they also considered really cool statistics breaking down like midwives and OBGYN saturation. And what was what was determined by this study was that Massachusetts, Vermont, Rhode Island, Minnesota, and New Hampshire, those are the top five states to have a baby. And then we wanted to apply this to a kind of our own post-row test of sorts to see, and we saw some other trends. So in Massachusetts, you have 24 publicly accessible clinics plus telemedicine. In Vermont, you have 10 clinics publicly accessible plus telemedicine. And as Liz mentioned, they're working on constitutional protection. Rhode Island has telemedicine, which is great because they still have the postal service. Rhode Island is just so tiny. And then Minnesota, you got 13 clinics. Minnesota should have more clinics, but they're doing so much work. They have telemedicine and Liz Winstead. And me. (laughs) And then they also have just, I just want to say too, Marie, in Minnesota, they also just, you know, removed a bunch of abortion restrictions here. And also they have advanced medical practitioners can also do abortions. So physician's assistants, um, LPNs, nurses can all provide early care. And so getting folks trained up and getting the practicing is going to be huge in Minnesota. Yes. Yes. It's astounding. And then in New Hampshire, six clinics and again, telemedicine. It's really not by chance or by, you know, it's sure not, you know, by federal design that (laughs) 
that the states with the best context in healthcare access and cost also allow for abortion care. And, you know, there's, it's just, it makes a lot of sense. There are these, these are camping options. I'm not saying that in any sort of white feminist way. These are very good states to have really good vacation spots at. They're on the water and to get abortion care. Yeah, very, it's true. And I feel like it's, it's, it is no surprise that, that the states that have the best places to raise and have a baby and and raise that baby have the most comprehensive care. You know, it's like they care about all pregnancy outcomes. Now I'm going to guess when we talk about the worst states, Marie, who's in the bottom five? Yeah. The bottom five are Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Georgia. Oh, that's awesome. Now, those states coincidentally also have some of the worst, not only abortion bans and also just like forced birth policies, but also didn't expand Medicaid under Obamacare, you know, have horrible environmental situations, terrible public schools. It's like if you're not on Medicaid, how do you actually pay for delivering a baby if you don't have insurance? Who's going to cover the cost of that? You know, it's everything they don't have. They have the high maternal mortality rate. It's the worst, but it's like so much more than just the worst. It's nearly impossible. And so it's like they don't want to pay for you to have families that you want and they don't want to pay for the families they're forcing upon people. And that's pretty fucking sick. Yep. Absolutely disgusting. I know. I know. All of this ties into really, really well into our first guest coming up. Joining us today is Karishma Oza, the Director of Patient Services at the DuPont Clinic in Washington, D.C. The DuPont Clinic is one of the few all-trimester abortion care clinics in the country and due to what they see patients from across the U.S. and other countries as well. Welcome, Karishma. Welcome, Karishma. Hey, Karishma. Hi. It's nice to see you all. You too. Great to have you joining us. First off, can you tell us about the DuPont Clinic? What makes you all special? What makes you all different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The DuPont Clinic is where I spend a majority of my time. Uh, We are an all-trimester clinic based in downtown Washington, D.C. We're one of only three independent abortion clinics in the U.S. right now that's providing abortion care in all trimesters. Our clinic is really beautiful. We have uh, private patient rooms for everyone who comes to us. Every patient gets a dedicated doula, a nurse, an OBGYN on their team. Um, I would have my abortion at DuPont Clinic. Um, You know, I'm not a fan of orchids, but every room is just like blooming with orchids. It's kind of like the theme. Um, We... We do serve, um, so two-thirds of the folks that we serve actually travel to us from outside D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Uh, Mostly this is due to, as you all know, um, abortion bans, gestational age limits, complex medical factors that create barriers in people's lives. Um, But our model is one that really centers people receiving abortion care. Um, It's grounded in best practice, and it affirms people of all genders. It's a really beautiful space to be providing care, and I'm honored to be part of their team. I'm really glad, Krishma, to have you here in particular, because before we were talking about, and I know you also because of Midwest Access Coalition, so I interact with you for folks that are are seeking abortion care, especially in the second and third trimester. And, oh, Krishma's got her sticker out her water bottle. 
We also know, though, that the language around abortion in the second and third trimesters that's shared in the world is often medically inaccurate and are really talking points that antis create. Like, you might not think so, but the word later is a really, really loaded term. And I was hoping we could unpack that a little bit together to give our audience a reframing to discuss this with people in their lives who are getting abortions in the second and third trimester. Yeah. You know, I think language is really important. Being clear is really important. You know, the medical system has for so long made things way more complicated than it needs to be. Like why say later abortion or a late term abortion, which is totally inaccurate when you could just say 26 weeks or you could say 30 weeks or you could say 32 weeks. Like that's much more informative than like this broad, very unhelpful term um, that just like categorize. I mean, an abortion at 22 weeks is going to look different than an abortion at 31 weeks. So just use the actual number of weeks. Yeah, the judgment that it pushes to, yeah, yeah, call a call a spade a spade, what it is. Yeah, it's also, you know, like, I don't think people realize, or maybe they do, um, that one in 475 pregnancies are actually discovered after 20 weeks. And there are so many reasons behind that, right? Like, there are people who, I mean, I work on the phone team. So every day I'm like talking to people, scheduling them, hearing about, you know, why they need this abortion. And it's very clear that people in their lives, that other clinics, other healthcare institutions have made them feel a certain type of way about how many weeks they are. So someone will call and they will say from the very beginning before even saying their name or what they need, that they're calling because they're super far into their pregnancy. And I'm like, okay, how many weeks are you? And they're like, I'm 24 weeks. And you know, I'm like, well, great, we can see you. And we go up to 31 weeks and six days. We have plenty of time to be able to see you. Um, you know, people share that they've had a period still. They're like, I had, I had a period. Like, I can show you my app. I was getting a period every month. And then I went to this clinic and all of a sudden I'm 22 weeks. And I had no idea. You know, people, especially in the pandemic, have not had access to care at all. Right. And so like, and they've had no symptoms, no classic symptoms of pregnancy, like nausea, et cetera, weight gain. Like, you know, they were just like, I didn't realize I was pregnant. Also, we have to talk about contraceptive failure. Like I'm all for contraception for people who want it, but there are people who come to us and we're removing their IUD and they were 31 weeks because their IUD failed on them, or they were taking birth control pills, you know? Um, There are all sorts of reasons why people need abortion care in all trimesters. And that's why we exist and we're not going anywhere. I love that you said we're not going anywhere because people have all of these odd ways that they talk about abortion care. And like, what if we like there's some magical way that abortion's going away, which is stigmatizing in and of itself. Right. Like. Who cares if people need abortions? Like if they need abortions, then let's give them abortions at what what any place they need. And I've always been sort of weirded out when people start going down these odd paths about like, we want to end it. I mean, sure, it's more expensive and there's a lot of things, but if people need them, I feel like we should have them. And my question for you is, I wonder if you could lay out some of the common myths or misconceptions around abortions in the second and third trimesters so that when people hear them, they know what's bullshit and they'll kind of know how to debunk them a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, this is a this is another thing that pisses me off when people call because it's clear that someone they talked to before, another clinic they may have seen, a non-abortion provider, the internet as a whole. I always tell people, don't Google, just don't Google it. Like go to our website or talk to us about the procedure because the internet is not helpful in this situation. You know, there is also a myth that abortion in the second and third trimester is only for people experiencing anomalies. That's also not true. Of course, we serve people who have anomalies at our clinic um, and we do it with a whole lot of heart and compassion. But there's this misconception that there has to be something wrong with the pregnancy in order to have an abortion. And that's just not true. You know, we always tell people we don't need to know your reason. Like it Mm -hmm. literally does not matter. It's not going to affect the care that you get. You can share it with us if you want to, but we're never going to ask you. And I think that what, what makes me so mad is having this morality sort of like spectrum that they go on, you know, as far, as far as people have it without any morality around and having rage around, if somebody's trying to access an earlier abortion, because that's more convenient for them and they can't get that, you know, if people, sometimes people have abortions in second and third trimesters because the world has been set up to shit all over people just trying to get care. Right. And so, you know, why are we not mad that, that that isn't the case instead of going after reasons, people have them learn the reasons people have them and all of them and be angry that they can't get them at any stage of the pregnancy they want. Yeah. A hundred percent. Couldn't have said it better. I mean, and, and, you know, the turnaway study found that once someone discovers someone is pregnant, that they're pregnant, it can take weeks to months to actually be able to get care. So to place blame on that person for not getting an abortion sooner is totally unfounded and totally unjust. Um, you know, and it, you know, if they do find a clinic that can see them, how long does it take to get funding, to get travel, you know, to get time off of work? Uh, you know, and thank thank goodness for organizations like the Midwest Access Coalition, Bridget Alliance, Arc Southeast that are like literally moving mountains to get people to their care and to the abortion funds. But like, holy crap, there's some like people are going through a lot just in their lives. Add to that barriers to actually getting abortion care. It's just a mess. Yes. I wanted to ask you next about like, from a, the component of supporting someone getting abortion at all trimesters from an emotional perspective. But also, I mean, just, I always like to personally remind people like the great distances folks are forced to travel to access care from you all. And they they should be allowed to be happy about their abortion. They should allowed to be excited. They should allowed to feel all the ways. And in so many times, the need to emotionally support someone often comes because of what society, what protesters, what antis are telling them and putting on them. And it's just, it's so, what are some best practices that you have or that you've seen from a way to emotionally support those folks that shouldn't, that shouldn't be experiencing any of this and it's being put on them and they're being targeted for it because of going somewhere that does all trimester care. Yeah. I was again, talking to uh, one of our doulas a few days ago and, and they were saying something that they wish that folks would support people who may need an abortion in their life with would be like, if you're going to show up, show up, you know, whether it's physically or with all sorts of like other aspects of, of care, if you're coming to accompany someone to their appointment, 
don't be the most like demanding person in the room, help out, you know, be there, write down discharge instructions, because after the procedure, someone is going through a lot, you know, and they may not be able to remember and process all the things that their care team has told them. And so if you're going to be there to support someone, you know, write down, you know, when to take medications, when to call for what, what to look out for, when periods will return, you know, what to expect afterward, be there. Um, People can also support by getting meals ready, you know, like packing a little travel kit for folks, making sure that folks have like packed a phone charger or warm fuzzy socks or cozy pants. You know, the other day, actually it was abortion AF. It was operation save uh, abortion that you all had sent us these kits for patients. And, you know, we, they keep coming through from all these volunteers. The other day, one of our, one of my coworkers brought an entire package of warm fuzzy socks and they're like, Krishma, here are your socks. So I'm like, what? For me. <laughs> I love a good warm fuzzy sock, but these are literally not for me. There are little things that you can do for people. You can, you know, bring ice water. You can like bring a heating pad. You can make sure that childcare is set up and taken care of. You can water someone's plants at home. You can fundraise. You can help make sure that people have all the numbers that they need to get seen um, to get get support. It's something that Marie talks about a lot. And I think that this is also something that in the support conversation is support for somebody having an abortion at nine weeks might look different than somebody having an abortion at 22 weeks. You know, people who have had time to be in their pregnancies, people who, you know, may develop all kinds of, you know, thoughts, questions, whatever. Um, I would love to talk about like, how to talk to somebody, or, you know, about, about those various things, because it's like, there's such a fine line between being a shoulder and then being too invasive in, in support. And so what have you found or what have you heard from patients about sort of approaching that, that support place? You know, I think we see all sorts of different ways in which support manifests, whether it's like a partner calling, like, shouldering the burden to ask the tough questions around like, you know, can we see our baby afterward, you know, for someone, for a couple that it's like a very desired pregnancy, right. And just asking that question requires so much, so much right on the person who's having to have this abortion. And so when we have partners or family members call to ask like deeply emotional questions, it just, you just know that that person has a support network network in their life, you know, that they're going to like ask the tough questions. They're going to have the tears. They're going to get everything answered and written down. That way the patient doesn't have to call and ask. And, you know, are there, are there resources that I can offer to my sister or to my family member after the procedure in case they feel, you know, any of these emotions after the procedure, I want to be prepared. Can you offer any sort of talk lines or text lines. I, you know, I just want to, I just want to have that information in advance. And we're like, yeah, here's the all options talk line. You know, we're here. There are like professionals who are able to support at any point. And so I think support just looks different for everyone. You can really feel it when someone has the support and you can also feel it when 
even though we're only seeing people for two two days or three days of their entire life, you really can see like this mom or this partner or this neighbor or aunt or grandma is going above and beyond to support their loved one while they're here for their abortion and beyond. We have to wrap up. This has been so great to talk to you, but I just wanted to, one thing that we just wanted to ask you, because you're a provider in this ever-changing time, how has your workload at the clinic changed in this post-Roe hellscape, you know, and, and where do y'all need support? Yeah. Thank you for that. I think as a result of statewide bans, you know, we're seeing people who have prevented or delayed access to care. And so what that looks like is as one of only a few all trimester clinics in the country, we're seeing a lot more people. We're also getting a lot more calls. On the day of the Supreme Court decision, our call volume went up by 66%. And I'm sure the funds, practical support orgs are feeling the same thing. We're also, you know, our average gestational age with just like wait times is continues to increase every month, which means people are being basically forced to wait longer for appointments. I think, you know, we anticipated this happening. And so we've been planning for it for a while now. We're hiring, we're continuing to hire. What we could use help with is, you know, we're looking for some badass nurses to join our team. Um, So if you are a nurse and you love providing abortion care in all trimester, please apply. We've got several positions open. In terms of other ways people can support I always, always ask that people donate to your local abortion fund, DC Abortion Fund, Baltimore Abortion Fund, the Midwest Access Coalition, Bridget Alliance, and ARC Southeast. We could not do this work without this group of people. Yeah. So that's where we could use support. Thanks, Karishma, for everything you do. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you so much to Karishma for joining us. You can support the work at DuPont Clinic through Abortion Access Front's Adopt-A-Clinic program. They've started an Amazon wish list, which could be compiled in our show notes. You can also follow them on social media, at DuPont Clinic, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, Liz, you are over here in the wings with maybe a next guest. Yes, indeed. We're so excited. She's an AAF FBK all-star and has supported the work that we do tirelessly. She's a star of the hilarious Hulu original film, Fire Island, and is back out on tour through the remainder of the year. She'll be joining us also on the AAF musical extravaganza, Do Re Me Too, airing October 6th. Please welcome five-time Grammy and Emmy-nominated actor and comedian, Margaret Cho! Woo! Margaret! Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? You know, it's one of those questions that I'm unclear. <laughs> I always just kind of say unclear, but um, I got frosted lipstick, so I'm feeling like I'm living my new life. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it back. I love it. Thank you. So before we dive into all things fabulous you, how I want to know how you're doing and what you're doing to find joy in this insanity we're living in. Well, I think it's really tough, but I am really excited about uh, the FBI <laughs> raiding Mar-a-Lago. It's so, so funny. Fun. I think it was Barron, actually, who called in. I think Barron narked on everybody. You know, it's so funny to me um, what's going on. I, what's also funny is the Republican response and how, like, 
they're just such hypocrites. Do they know? I'm sure they know. They don't even like look at what they're saying. I mean, that that just like all they have to do is comply with law enforcement. I don't know why they're freaking out about it. If they've done nothing wrong, then there should be nothing to hide. And it's like, I don't know. It's so it's really fun um, that they're now finally facing some consequences. Who knows? I know. I'm enjoying I love that it. I love, I love it. it. And I love the fact that it's like, this is unprecedented to raid the home of a former president. I'm like, it's unprecedented to put up a candidate who has 22 rape allegations against him. Fuck you. <laughs> like, are you I kidding mean, me? It's really everything about him is so uh, it, it, it it's just all unprecedented and that he yes. should never have been president. This should have never happened. And for some reason, it's still happening. And at the very least, what this will do, hopefully, is uh, keep him from running again. That's yes. the only thing we can hope for, because I don't think he's going to go to prison. I don't think that he's going to face anything other than just not being able to run again. But that's what I'm happy about. I think any small victories we have to any uh, disruption at Morton Steakhouse, we have to celebrate any <laughs> tiny feces that is sent to uh, anybody in the Supreme Court, any tiny um, calling your Congress person to talk about your period any like tiny victory we've got to claim i agree i'm desperate to find um as many friends i have that have 10 year old daughters and i want them to call up legislators and ask them where they can adopt children mm-hmm. and when they say you're not old enough to adopt i want them to say but you'll force me to have one so but i want to just adopt one then yes and just yes. to have them just do it i just want 10 year old girls to run the world now it's really, I mean, to me, like, this is uh, something that is just, I never thought I would see it happen. Although I always thought in the back of my mind, this could happen, this could happen, and now it's happening. For some reason, I thought that it wouldn't, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I think we got complacent. I think we got too trusting in and comfortable in this idea of freedom and, and abortion rights and um, equal rights and bodily autonomy. We got just comfortable with it and we can't be. I agree. And I think too, like I say this constantly, but like the second that progressives or liberals get a win, they fucking go on vacation. And I'm like, patriarchy does not take a holiday 24, seven, 365. They're just like, they have no hobbies. They have no life. Their joy is to suck, suck, suck any freedom that we have out of us. Mm-hmm. And we give them oxygen to do so, you know, so yeah. we just have to stay vigilant. I mean, I, I feel like that's 100% real. Yes, exactly. It's really good, too. And I think it's really it's it's invigorating. I think it's one of the things that is keeping me going is also seeing how great uh, Gen Z has has taken up this like activism and you know it's it's powerful unfortunately we have the other side of it too we have a lot of gen z conservatives pro-lifers now i don't want to use the term pro-lifers i like to say forced birthers Mm -hmm. because that's what they are they're forced they're trying to force people to have children which is really so terrifying but the, the the way that gen z's like uh progressive politics have really like kind of invigorated the whole movement is really exciting I love it. I know. I feel like the energy is good. I feel like they're smart. 
I feel like they're Mm -hmm. funny and they're just like, they have zero fucks to give. God, it took me forever to get to the zero fucks to give point. So I'm like, I'm glad people are just like coming out of the gate. You know, I'm 16. I have zero fucks to give. I love it. I love it. (laughs) But I have to tell you, I'm obsessed with our mutual friend, Ian Harvey's catio built for you in your yard. Can we please tell people about this fucking amazing thing that is happening with your brilliant cat. I love my cat scent. So, uh, but I am very, uh, I, I live in kind of a wilderness area. And so there's a lot of coyotes and all sorts of critters out there. And so I want them to be safe. So, but I also know that they love the outdoors. And so they have, um, a mid-century modern, uh, four room catio with uh, now very, very long corridors that go in between each room. So it's fabulous. It's very stylized. And they have, today they have um, iced catnip tea outside because it's very hot outside. So they have uh, a lo- a- alongside um, fresh cat grass that I just got them. I and, love it. I uh, picture them on Herman Miller cat chairs. Just like chilling. Mm-hmm. E- an Eames cat bed. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> very mid-century modern. It's like, uh, it's it's very fabulous. And they, they really are, are having the best time. They also have like, um, you know, tatami mats so they can practice their little judo. And uh, they don't naturally, they don't have a scratching pad out there. What they have are actual trees to scratch on. So that's. I think it's it's good. So the catio is built like around actual trees and like outdoor wildlife stuff. Yes, it's built around uh, three uh, three pretty large trees and uh, what where like they have like sort of like there there's like gating and wire around the tree so the trees can grow inside the catio, but they can grow up and out and the cats can't get out, but they can still climb the branches inside, which is great. So Margaret, I've seen video and pictures of it, but I couldn't get, and I don't know why Ian couldn't spit it out for me. How, what the actual size of the catio is? Is it like 20 um, feet? I would say uh, there's there's four different rooms. Uh, the largest room would probably be um, probably 15 by 18 feet. It's pretty large. And so then it's bigger um, than most New York apartments. Yeah, it's very. I was gonna say, I feel like I have friends who have bedrooms half that size. It's very large, and um, then uh, there's like a, t- a number of tunnels that go across. So the footprint of the catio mimics the footprint of the actual house because I Stop have it. a lot of land here. So uh, that I don't use. I've never used the land here. So this is great to actually like move the cats out into the yard. And then I have like landscaped the other side of the yard. And so the other side of the yard is for my plants, which is another huge obsession of mine. So it's very, it's very nice for all of us. Oh my God. It's amazing. I, I yeah. mean, I just, I just love it. I just love pet people, period. Oh also, yeah. If you don't have pets, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and plant people. Plants. Plant people are also. I'm not a plant person. So, plants and pets. I mean, all <laughs> life I think is really important to nurture. And um, I think, uh, you know, well, p- plants came out of my obsession for my pets. So like I wanted to grow my own cat grass and grow my own catnip and um, have that fresh for them and then dry it. Um, so that was always there. And then I started to grow my own strawberries and tomatoes, which is great. And then I started to get like into carnivorous 
plants and tropical plants just because. And so, uh, but mostly it was for the cats. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. But the, pla- the plants are actually like, they're actually much more finicky than the cats and the dog. The dog is like the most casual. The dog is really easygoing. The, the Calatheus are not. So are you a putterer? Like, do you putter around in the garden? Like, or do yeah. you have someone help you? No, I putter. Um, I putter. I am like kind of a helicopter plant parent, which is not good for them. Um, <laughs> so I often kill them with my kindness with watering. And so then what I have to do, like uh, the thing that I putter the most around is the bird feeder. So I have 28 bird feeders outside. So I don't I don't have any birds, but I feed a lot of the wild birds that live in the trees here. I try to discourage the birds of prey. So I have a hawk net above the catio to make sure that the um, hawks and owls can't get down. And I mean, it's there's it's all gated so they can't get in. But still, I don't want the cats to be stressed with yeah. the raptors. So um, but I do encourage like hummingbirds and uh, the small like wild birds around here. So that cleaning around that is really that's the puttering activity because there's bird flu. The bird, the birds are very, you have to keep all of the feeders clean. So that's a big project. Wow. <laughs> wow. So besides like basically having a a one person zoo <laughs> planetarium, I guess it's a plantatarium. Yes. Um, you also seem to be an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing some of that too. I mean, it's really, I, if I, I actually love doing it all. If, if I can do it all, I, I really try, but like, I would like to just sort of do it all from my house. I mean, I'm on the road a lot too, doing standup, which is like, what's great about it is that I remember that I'm still like out there talking, being political and doing comedy. But um, then I have all these like cameras in my house so I can look at all my plants and my cats. <laughs> and I have somebody that stays here when I'm gone so that they take over, they take care of the cats. It's so great. First of all, Fire Island was so much fucking fun. It was oh, so thank fun. Thank you. And what I love the most about it is uh, it's an unapologetically gay film on Hulu yeah. that was a mainstream streaming service rather than, you know, at the LGBTQ Film Festival and P Town or at the Art House Theater. Like it was mm-hmm. just for everyone. And it was awesome. Oh, thank you. I loved, I loved it. it. Yeah. How much fun was it? We had such a great time making it. And I really love the cast. And of course, Andrew on is such a great director. And we had a blast just laughing and lounging around the pool. Um, I gave Tomas all the clothes that I brought. Um, <laughs> getting worn. Um, it was really, it was really fun. I think it's just so special to make a gay movie that's so uh funny, but so there's so much meaning behind what's going on. You know, it really talks about a lot of the problems that we have within the queer community about um bias that we don't understand or believe exists. And mm-hmm. so that's it's fun to make a make a movie that's really true to our lives and, and really beautiful that way. So I love Joel Kim Booster and Bone Yang and they're so special. So I'm, I'm really excited that I got to make that movie. I loved it too. And I just loved your role in it. Uh, You know, I just love that you were just this 
doyen of this yes. community, you know, and curated the community and kept everyone in check. And yes. I, I loved, I just, I just loved it. I love a cool mom vibe. Like yes. to me, that's like a very, it's a very like cool mom um, in almost a literal sense. Cause every time I like see a queer Asian stand-up comic, I feel like I birthed them. So there's a lot of connection there. And so it's really beautiful. Yep. I felt, I mean, it was, it poured through. Mm. I mean, it just, it's one of those things where if the premise on paper could go either way, right. It could feel very, it could feel very like predictable or it could feel 100% organic Mm -hmm. and it sunk into itself, just like a warm couch that you just felt it was very organic. And I just, I love it. Yes. Thank you. And I think it's just so beautifully shot. Like it's just a beautiful looking film and everybody in it is so gorgeous. And I think um, that has a big part of it too, is that it's just so glossy and lush and the photography that there's so much depth to it. And I, I really enjoy that part as well. And then to pivot slightly, you turn on the TV and there you are also your hacks, flight attendants. I myself am a big Tuca and Birdie fan. Oh, and, I love to go birdie. Yeah. <laughs> and I did not realize that you, that you, you're like a reoccurring role on there. I'm the like, mom. I'm yeah. the mom. I'm always the mom, um, which I love. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing the same shirt I wore in Hex. Um, I actually <laughs> only have this shirt. I love Hex too. That's such, oh. a, great, such a great show. Hex, it really hits so cool. home, Margaret. It so hits home. It, it's Holy really, shit. I love Deborah Vance because it's such a, uh, Gene Smart is so good and it's so real. And of course, Hannah is incredible. I just love the show. And, um, you know, to me, it's it's really meaningful to be able to be part of this universe that I, I'm really excited about. So that's that's my, yeah, I love that. I love that show. That's my favorite. And I, I love the flight attendant too. I know, but Hacks was so interesting because that character is an amalgam of a million people we know generationally above us. It's people kind who of- are the same as us. Yeah, it's kind of, is it like Rita Redner? It's kind of Diane Ford. It's kind Diane of- Diane uh, Ford. It's kind of a little bit, oh God. It, it's a little Carol Leifer, but a little bit also, I think Carol Leifer is a little bit young for that. It's like kind of, can't, it's 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 all of these different female comics that I grew up loving and yep. watching and um, maybe a little Anita Wise. Some Behar. Um, oh, Joy. Yeah, Joy Behar. It's that kind of sensibility, but also uh, not exactly their stories. You know, there's so much, there's some Joan Rivers too, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think that's who people think of first is they think yeah. of Joan Rivers. But like for those of us, and maybe this is just two in the weeds, but for those of us who've been around the block a couple minutes, seeing all those other people and um, that road comic and that those people who blossom in Vegas forever and can be in residence for an eternity. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden when that flips over, Mm -hmm. what happens? And I love that what happens Mm. piece and reinvention. The reinvention and also like, do we sort of live in um, a comfortable space or do we really try and see what we can do and how much we can learn from young people and also how much the younger generation can learn from generations past. So it's really, it's really powerful. I, I love it. It's really all just a sort of about comedy, but it's also about women in comedy, which I think is often simplified too much. 
you know, like we don't have a full experience of what it is. And and the the show really does a great job of that, explaining yeah. that. And then you're going to be on season three of the L word. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. I love, which I love. Coming up. I love, um, I love the L word. I'm excited to be on. Um, they, uh, every time I would play Vancouver two years past, uh, they would all come. So it's great to be able to like come and, and be on their show. And uh, I, I really, I'm excited to, to be a part of it. How has it been now? Like, especially, so the world right now, or at least the world that a lot of the, those of us on this pod right now inhabit um, we're seeing world that in ways is impre- embracing queer culture and more spaces existing for people to be authentic while politicians simultaneously are stripping rights away. How hard is it for you existing and work working as a queer person being yourself when this is simultaneously happening? It's confusing and it's scary because you see how easily these rights can be taken away and how it's really kind of contingent on the culture. Still, we're building culture as we go. And so much queerness is such a part of pop culture. It's like, I wonder like, what are these Republicans like listening to? What are they watching on TV? That's enjoyable. Like, it's like the, everything that's good is gay. Yes. So how could you possibly get participate in anything then if you're so anti all these things, what really gets my goat are people who are queer Yet they want to be re- Republicans, like you know the um, like Herschel Walker's son. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Herschel Walker. Walker's son is a mess. Yes. I mean, but people like that, like who are like, why are you embracing Caitlin the Jenner? other side? What are you doing? Well, yeah, it's such a weird phenomenon of like, why are you going to that side when clearly they don't want you either, but they'll just use you. Yeah. And throw you away. And for some reason, it's I think that's the most disturbing. Like, it really freaks me out when I see people like that. But overall, it's terrible. Overall, it's just it's so bad. I know you're somebody who is shows up all the time. You're in the fight all the fucking time, Margaret. Like, I just can't even take it. Like, I get I get texts from like Margaret Cho said that we're supposed to do a benefit for you. Like I literally get texts from people and I'm like, God bless Margaret Cho. But like, how do you balance out? Cause I think it's important, especially when you're bombarded with asks from us mostly probably, but like, you know, how do you, how do you make it work for yourself? You just do it. I mean, it's all activism. Everything that I think is uh, everything I do is a kind of activism because it's so steeped in my own identity as a feminist, as a queer woman, as a woman of color. There's so many things about it that, you know, point towards activism. So you just I do whatever I can. I think it's really the most important thing is not to lose hope or lose sight of um that there is something that we can gain from continuing to fight and continue to be hopeful and continuing to to press forward on it. It's really like, you know, to me, when I see like at the turning point convention where they're proudly flying the Nazi flag, where I can't understand where they feel like they're justified in doing that. So in a sense, like if they're going to do that, then we have to put everything into our fight. If they can proudly fly the flag of a genocide, that is really so boldly hateful. The symbol of 
actual hatred, the symbol of real, real hatred. It's like, what, what, what can we, what can we, we can lose everything. So we have to continue to fight until, you know, until the end. So, and it's not the end. That is well put. Again, they don't rest. We can't either. So thank you for being right with us. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Always, always. It's like, we, we knew this was coming when they came for Poland. Yeah. We knew this was coming. This is like inevitable. So it's like, I think where, why were we fighting as hard then? I mean, we have to keep, 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 keep fighting. It's just never lose hope. True. Thank you, Margaret, so much for joining us. Thank like you. to remind everyone to watch Fire Island on Hulu and see Margaret Cho live on tour. MargaretCho.com for tour dates. And don't miss her on Dory Me Too this fall. That's yes. Right. Oh, October it's a really it's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. Oh my God. I Thanks, really Marge. enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You all can watch Fire Island on Hulu and see Margaret Cho live on tour. Go to MargaretCho.com for tour dates and don't miss her on Dory Me Too. October 6th. That's right. That's our show. We did a show in Moji. We're so sorry that Moji went in and out, but we did get a little sweet, sweet Moji, uh, which is good, but um, she'll be returning with us next week live. So thank you again so much to Krishma for joining us through our Adopt-A-Clinic program. You can send the DuPont Clinic items from their Amazon wishlist and we'll include our wishlist page link in the show notes so you can help them out. You can also follow them on social media at DuPont Clinic on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thanks again, Margaret Cho. You want to see Margaret live on tour till the end of the year? Just go to margaretcho.com for dates and don't miss her on Dory Me Too this fall, as Marie said, presented by Abortion Access Front. Thanks so much for listening. We are here for you as we navigate this patriarchal hellscape. We want to be a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some really hard times ahead. Know that we are in this together. We got you. Subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcasts to reach more people. And by doing so, you're helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and at Abortion Access Front on YouTube and TikTok. FBK Live is edited by Remy Detournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. And we got some action items. If you missed Operation Save Abortion, our kickoff training event, don't worry, you can watch all the sessions and access the activity guide, plus sign up for upcoming trainings at OperationSaveAbortion.com. And if listening to it with your ear holes is your jam, we are dropping it as a five-part pod series right here on the FBK channel on August 26th. You can access the activity guide in the show notes for each episode, and you can also find it at OperationSaveAbortion.com. And when you aren't listening to FBK Live, have we got a pod for you. You need news that is smart, funny, and inspiring. You need the Final Word podcast with Frangela. America's BFFs will keep you informed and energized while you resist with new podcasts out every Wednesday. That's right. I love Frangela. Plus, next week, this is fun. You can catch FBK live from Netroots Nation August 18th to the 20th. If you're going to be at Netroots in Pittsburgh, come see us do the show live and visit our booth. If you can't get there, you can get the deets and schedules and sign up to attend virtually at netrootsnation.com. Next week's guest is Aurea Bolanos Perea, Strategic Communications Director of Colorado Organization for Latina Opportunity and Reproductive Rights, Calor, to talk about ballot initiatives and more. And lastly, 
join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. Well, we are leaving you now with a super freak who shows his whole ass to his whole congregation and the devil's side pieces who rolled up in his church. See you next week. We got first and last names of six witches that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. Three of you in the room right now. You better look in my eyeballs. We ain't afraid of you, you stinking witch. You devil-worshiping Satanist witch. We cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ. We break your spells. We break your curse. We got your first name. We got your last name. We even got an address for one of you. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.